0: Evidence and Answers Skeptics allege that Christianity derives much of its teachings from the Greek mystery religions. Centuries before Christianity, the Greek myths of Addis, Osiris, Mithras, and Dionysius spoke of a resurrection, virgin birth, incarnation of deity, and other teachings that eventually gave rise to Christian doctrines. Did Christianity borrow from the ancient mystery religions? Is there a pagan connection? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is a popular teacher and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat answers the challenge posed by many skeptics that Christianity originated from the pagan mystery religions. Let's join Pat now as he teaches on Christianity and the alleged pagan connection in part one of this study.
1: Did Christianity derive its doctrines and teachings from the Greek mystery religions? Is there a pagan connection between the two? Skeptics allege that Greek myths such as Mithras and Osiris teach of virgin birth and resurrection centuries before Christ. Other myths such as Hercules, Dionysius and others parallel Christianity. This theory has resurfaced again in recent times. And there are many television documentaries espousing this theory and it still remains a popular theory on the university campuses and even in some liberal churches well does christianity have a pagan connection are the gospel miracle accounts and the events of the life of christ are they simply borrowed from the mystery religions let's take a look at this argument and examine the evidence first there are several fallacies in this particular theory let me go over just a few The first is the composite fallacy. Now the composite fallacy is this, that skeptics lump together the pagan religions and treat them as if they are one religion when making comparisons to Christianity. By combining features from the various myths and religions, there is an attempt to show strong parallels. So all the myths and the religions are combined together and treated as one super religion and their attempt to try and show parallels to christianity second we have what's called the terminology fallacy there's confusion created because christian terms are used to describe pagan beliefs when in reality the pagan beliefs are very different from the biblical teachings but since the same terms are used people mistakenly conclude christianity and the pagan myths share the same beliefs. For example, some of the terms used include resurrection and virgin birth. The same term is used when comparing these pagan religions with Christianity. And there's the myth created that they're talking about the same thing, when indeed they're describing different things. And I'll talk more about that as we go on with the presentation. Third, we have the chronological fallacy. There's no archaeological evidence that the mystery religions were in Palestine in the first century AD. And remember, if you understand the culture of the Jewish nation, the first century Jews loathed the pagan religions and loathe any kind of syncretism or association with the other religions. Remember, they learned a the great lesson in the Babylonian exile when God allowed the Babylonians to conquer and allowed the Babylonians to destroy Jerusalem and the people were deported to the land of Babylon where they remained in exile for 70 years. When they returned, they had learned their lesson and they loathed any kind of idolatry or syncretism with any kind of pagan religions. Jews and Christians were uncompromisingly monotheistic while the Greeks were polytheistic and that's reflected in these myths. And the evidence shows that the pagan religions developed and often later they borrowed ideas from christianity not the other way around so those are some of the key fallacies to this particular theory now when you study the pagan myths themselves you're going to see that the differences between christianity and the mystery religions are huge, they are significant. So it's highly unlikely Christianity would borrow ideas from the mystery religions. Let me explain to you some of the major differences between Christianity and the Greek pagan religions. These differences are huge and they are significant and they conflict and contradict with one another. First, Christianity gains its source from Judaism and not Greek mythology. Jesus, Paul, and the apostles appeal to the Old Testament and you find direct teachings and fulfillment in the Old Testament. Teachings such as there's only one God who created all things, not a host or pantheon of gods, was taught in Judaism and it's taught in Christianity. Blood atonement for sin. That's foreign in the Greek mythological religions. That's taught throughout the Old and New Testament. Salvation by grace. That is something unique to biblical teaching, not taught in any other religions, especially the pagan religions of the Greeks. The sinfulness of mankind. That's not taught in any other religion except in biblical teaching. The physical bodily resurrection that's taught in the Old and New Testament, foreign to the Greek mystery religions and other religions as well. These are all sourced in Judaism and Old Testament teaching and foreign to Greek mythology. The idea of a bodily resurrection was not taught in any Greek mythological work prior to the late 2nd century AD. Now, Allow me to show you some major differences between Christianity and the pagan resurrection myths. Many allege that the idea of a resurrection comes from these Greek mystery religions. However, there's a huge difference between what the Bible teaches regarding resurrection and the pagan myths of, quote, resurrection. First of all, in the pagan myths none of the resurrections involve the god of the universe dying a voluntary death for mankind. Only Jesus died for sins of mankind. The death of other gods was due in the pagan religions was due to hunting accidents, emasculation or other kinds of accidents. The gods in these Greek mystery religions die by compulsion not by choice, not as a sacrifice to rescue mankind from sin and death. And often these pagan gods die in bitterness and despair, never in self-giving love as Jesus Christ did. Next, Jesus died once and for all, according to Hebrews 7, verse 27 and chapter 9. However, the pagan gods repeat death and the rebirth cycle often tying in yearly with the seasonal changes. Next, Jesus' death was not a defeat but a triumph. The New Testament moods of exaltation stands in contrast to the pagan myths whose mood is of sorrow over the faith of the death of their gods or their heroes. And finally, Jesus' death was an actual event in history. There's strong historical evidence for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For more information on that, you need to go and read my articles on the historical reliability of the Gospels and the resurrection of Jesus. Christianity has always insisted on the historical credibility of its claims, that this is indeed a historical event. Jesus Christ was a historical person. We have an accurate historical record Of his life ministry death and resurrection from the dead and we also have good historical evidence outside of the Bible as well while the pagan cults make no such attempt it is understood that the stories of these heroes who die or these gods it is understood to be in the mythological realm and so those are some of the key differences between the resurrection accounts of the pagan myths and Christianity Now, when you study the individual Greek myths themselves, you also discover there are huge differences between these myths and Christianity. The differences are significant and make the premise that Christianity borrowed their ideas from these myths is highly highly unlikely. Let's take a look at some of the myths believed to parallel Christianity. One of the most popular Greek myths you hear that supposedly parallel Christianity is Mithraism. Mithraism arose in in the Asia Minor region in about the first century BC, and it was a relatively insignificant military religion that gained some popularity, but after Christianity. Now, it is supposed that Mithraism teaches a virgin birth, and that this virgin birth closely parallels the virgin birth of jesus christ well let's take a look at this particular myth and see how close that parallel is well according to greek mythology the greek god mithra was supposedly born when he emerged from a rock he was carrying a knife and a torch and wearing a phrygian war cap he battled first with the sun and then with a primeval bull thought to be the first act of creation mithra slew the bull which then became the ground of life for the human race so that is the myth of mithraism there supposedly a virgin birth there closely parallels that of the virgin birth of jesus christ and i'm sure you see the strong parallel there (laughs) not much of a parallel there with the birth of christ is there now, Dr. Ron Nash and other historians document that Mithraism did not teach a bodily resurrection of any kind until after the 2nd century AD, so about 200 years after Christianity began to flourish throughout the world. In fact, the Greek writer Aeschylus sums up the Greek view regarding death and resurrection. He states in his work, when the earth has drunk up a man's blood once he is dead there is no resurrection Mithraism had no concept of the death and resurrection of its God and no place for any concept of rebirth at least in its early stages during the early stages of the cult the notion of rebirth would have been completely foreign to its basic outlook and Mithraism is basically a military cult Therefore, it's highly unlikely that it would appeal to non-military people like the early Christians. And historical evidence shows that Mithraism flowered after Christianity, not before. So Christianity is highly unlikely it would have copied from Mithraism. The timing is completely wrong to have influenced the development of first century Christianity. And the alleged quote virgin birth of Mithra coming out of a rock differs tremendously from the virgin birth of Christ (laughs) there's very little parallel between the two let's take a look at another myth that supposedly parallels the virgin birth of Christ and that's the myth of Dionysius there's several versions of this particular myth here are two probably the most popular the first version teaches that Zeus fell in love with a mortal female, and as a result of their sexual union, she became pregnant with Dionysius. Hera, Zeus's wife, in a jealous rage, has the Titans tear up the baby. All is torn except his heart, which Zeus uses to recreate Dionysius, and implants the fetus in the womb of Samil, who then gives birth to Dionysius. The second version goes like this. Zeus had sexual relations with Samil and impregnates her. Hera, in a rage, whispers doubts in Samil's ear and she begins to doubt if Zeus is indeed the father of the child. Deeply troubled, Samil demands to see Zeus but Zeus is reluctant to appear. Finally, he appears to Samil who is burnt to a crisp when she sees him. However, the fetus is still alive. So Zeus takes the fetus and sews it into his thigh. And when the fetus is full grown, gives birth to Dionysius. Now in both those particular versions, I'm sure you see the strong parallel between Christ's virgin birth and that of Dionysius. The alleged virgin birth and, quote, resurrection of Dionysius differs greatly from the birth and resurrection of Christ. There's very little parallel here. Here's another one, the virgin birth of Augustus Caesar. Now, according to this myth, Caesar's mother fell asleep in the temple, and the sun god Apollo came in the form of a snake and impregnated the mother of Augustus Caesar, and she gave birth to the great child augustus caesar once again this hardly parallels with the virgin birth of christ as recorded in the gospels here's another one that supposedly parallels the virgin birth of christ is the virgin birth of alexander the great according to this myth zeus in the form of a snake came and impregnated philip of macedon's wife olympius Or another version is that Zeus, in the form of a thunderbolt, struck and impregnated Olympias. Well, once again, these stories hardly parallel the biblical account. And it's unreasonable to think that the biblical writers would want to copy from these particular stories. Now, here's a myth of Osiris. And Osiris is alleged to have a resurrection account, which parallels the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, let's take a look at the myth of Osiris. Osiris is believed to be one of the gods of Egypt. And according to the myth, he left the land of Egypt and left his sister Isis to rule the land when he decided to spread his rule around the world. He returned only after civilizing the entire earth. And he found that Isis had ruled wisely and his kingdom was still in perfect order. However, it was at this point that his brother, the wicked, Set, began plotting against him. And there are many stories of how Osiris was killed. Now, the most common is that his brother Set held an extravagant banquet and invited Osiris. After the festivities were over, Set produced a magnificent golden coffin and offered it as a gift to whomever fit it best. Well, of course, it had been built for Osiris's form. And when Osiris got in it, his brother shut the lid and sealed it and threw it into the Nile River and then Set took Osiris's place as the king while the grieving Isis searched for Osiris's remains. She found the body in a faraway place called Biblos, brought it back to Egypt and hid it in the marsh. However, the wicked Set found it and unfortunately tore the body in pieces throwing them again into the river isis collected all the pieces i believe he was torn into 13 pieces she collected 12 of them the final piece had been eaten by the fish unfortunately and she bandaged the body together again and allegedly this was the first mummy this mummy then transformed into an ark and this form of osiris traveled to the underworld where he became king over and judge of the dead. Well, once again, you can see (laughs) the strong (laughs) parallels between the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Osiris. The alleged, quote, resurrection of Osiris is not a resurrection, but more like a a zombie-like kind of resurrection, a zombie-like existence of the underworld, unlike the physical and glorified resurrection of Christ, triumphing over sin and death. Now, the final myth we're going to look at is the myth of Addis. And supposedly, there is a resurrection account in Addis that parallels that of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at that myth. Now, the myth goes like this. Sibyl, also known as the Mother Goddess, fell in love with a handsome shepherd in Asia Minor named Attis. However, Attis was unfaithful to Sibyl, and she caused him to go mad, and he castrated himself under a pine tree and died. Grief stricken, Sibyl's sorrow caused the earth to die. However, Sibyl preserves the body of Attis from decay, and the only signs that he is alive is that his hair continues to grow, and there is slight movement in his little finger. Now in honor of Addis and to ensure a good crop, farmers back in ancient Greek times performed a ritual commemorating his death every spring. I'm sure you see the strong parallel between the resurrection of Addis and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Once again, the death and resurrection of Addis differ significantly from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when you take a look at these myths, the alleged parallels are not very close to the historical accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as you can see, there are very few close parallels between these pagan myths and the historical life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, as we conclude, Let me summarize the points here. First, there are very few parallels when the pagan myths are studied individually and compared with the life of Christ. Second, the terms used may be the same, but they have very different meanings here. Resurrection, virgin birth, and these pagan myths differ significantly from the resurrection, the virgin birth, and the events of the life of Jesus Christ. And finally, the date of any resurrection accounts follow Christianity. And these myths occur in a mythical realm, not in a historical realm like that of Jesus Christ as recorded in the Gospels. Now, along with the allegation that Christianity borrowed its ideas from the Greek mystery religions is also the secret Gospels. You've heard of the secret Gospels, such as the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Peter, the Gospel of Mary, the Acts of Peter. Supposedly, there are secret Gospels that were discovered in Egypt that predate the New Testament Gospels that tell us the real story of Jesus Christ. Well what about these secret Gospels? Is there a pagan connection here with these secret Gospels? Well, let's take a look at this theory and see what this theory of the secret Gospels is all about. Well, the missing Gospels or the secret Gospels that are often referred to are known as the Nag Hammadi texts, discovered in 1946 after the place they were found on the west bank of the Nile. Now, their discovery is an interesting story here. The man who discovered these ancient texts, his name is... Muhammad Ali. That's right. You thought all he did was box, right? Well, according to this story, now Muhammad was digging along the west bank of the Nile, hoping to find fertilizer, when he and his friends came across some jars. Now, his friends were afraid to open the jars, thinking a genie may pop out of it. However, he opened it up and discovered some ancient scrolls. Not knowing their value, he went home and burned some of the scrolls to boil a pot of stew very costly pot of stew there. However, eventually, these scrolls got into the hands of an antique dealer, and he discovered their value, and when he went back to the site, a great discovery was found. A library was found containing 45 texts written in the Coptic language. These documents were written some as early as the 2nd century and others about the 4th century A.D., these ancient manuscripts were written in the early second century to the fourth century AD now of the 45 texts that were found only about a half dozen claim to be gospels and examples of these are the Gospel of Thomas the Gospel of Philip the Acts of Peters and a few others these documents were not authored by a Christian group but a group called the Gnostics and our knowledge of the Gnostics came only from the church fathers' criticisms of the Gnostic texts. And the church fathers had been warning the Christians about the Gnostics and these false gospels that had begun to arise there as Christianity became popular and spread throughout the Roman Empire. Now, the only thing we knew about the Gnostics were the things the early church fathers had warned the church about. But now we had the text and we could read the text for themselves. Now, first of all, who are the Gnostics? Well, Gnosticism derives its meaning from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. The Gnostics were a heretical group whose teachings were a combination of Greek philosophy and Eastern pantheism. Gnosticism taught the secret knowledge of dualism, that the material world was evil and it's the spiritual realm that was pure. This goes in direct contradiction. To the Old Testament account of creation, Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2. When God created all things, He declared that it was good and that one day, after the fall of man, one day creation would be redeemed. It's a rejection of the New Testament teaching that Jesus became flesh and that the body is good and one day shall be restored. See, it's abhorrent in Gnosticism to think Jesus, the master Gnostic, would take on a corrupted body of flesh and bone.
0: This concludes part one of Pat's message on the pagan connection. Join us next time as Pat presents Part 2 of this series. If you missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org and you can listen to the entire study and enjoy other great resources right there on the site. Pat is the director of the Pacific Apologetics Center. His ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. I hope you'll continue to be with us as Pat continues to present Evidence for Faith in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges of today, right here on Evidence and Answers.